Welcome to The CrocCast, a podcast for peace studies conversations convened by the University of Notre Dame's Croc Institute for International Peace Studies, part of the Keough School of Global Affairs. In today's episode, Croc Institute Communications Program Director Hannah Heinziker talks with Professor Emeritus Peter Wallenstein and Croc Institute Visiting Fellow Father Hagos Hayish about the recent awarding of the 2019 Nobel Peace Prize to Ethiopian Prime Minister Dr. Abiy Ahmed. They also discuss the history and current realities of the conflict at the Ethiopian and Eritrean border and challenges and opportunities facing peacebuilders in Ethiopia. This is one of a number of episodes recorded during the recent Building Sustainable Peace Conference that took place at the Kroc Institute in November 2019. Hello and welcome to this edition of the CrocCast. I'm Hannah Heinziker. I'm the Communications Program Director here at the Kroc Institute. And I'm excited to be here with two wonderful guests for this podcast episode, First, Peter Wallenstein, who is well known to many of our alums in the Croc Network, the Richard G. Starman Senior Research Professor Emeritus of Peace Studies at the Croc Institute, and also a senior professor in the Department of Peace and Conflict Research at Uppsala University in Sweden. So thanks for joining us, Peter. Thank you. And then also today we have with us Father Hagos Haish, an Ethiopian Catholic priest, a member of the Congregation of Mission, Vincentian. And Father Hagos is also here as our visiting research fellow with the Catholic Relief Services for a month, I believe. Is that right, here at the Croc Institute? Mm-hmm. And Father Hagos, you also have lots of experience in pastoral ministry and rural and urban settings, I know, working with disadvantaged community groups and accompanying people displaced by war. So we're so grateful that you're willing to join us for this conversation today. Thank you very much. All right. Well... This is an exciting time to be talking about Ethiopia because, as you both know, Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed has just received the Nobel Peace Prize. So talk a little bit. I know, Peter, you have lots of history commenting on the significance of the Nobel Peace Prize each year. So talk a little bit about this particular award and its significance going to Prime Minister Abiy. Yeah, I think this was a good prize uh, this year. He is a unique personality, uh, the way he is appearing in Ethiopia, but also in Africa or in the region at large. And the Nobel Committee, of course, should favor somebody who has done something important for peace in the past year. And when you look around in the world, uh, this is definitely a situation that have unfolded very quickly. He became prime minister in April 2018, and a year and a half later, a lot of things have changed. The Nobel Committee in its statement is also very careful. They say, yes, this is not uh, the solutions or these are just beginnings of new developments. And indeed, they even say that this is to reward him for what he has done and hope that it will go well. That's basically what they say. So sort of preemptively awarding what they're hoping will come and follow from it, I guess. And exciting that this is somebody who has a background in peace studies. So for those of us who are invested in the Kroc Institute and the field of peace studies. That's exciting. Yes, indeed. He has it from the University of Addis Ababa in peace and security studies. So uh, I think he's actually seemed to apply some of his uh, what he learned. (laughs) The dream, I guess, that somebody would would go to school and then apply what they're they're learning. Father Hagos, what about you? What, What is the significance of this and what has kind of been the reaction in your communities to this award. Yeah, thank you. I think, first of all, maybe it's good to put a picture behind uh, before we arrive to that stage of our Prime Minister, uh, Dr. Abiy Ahmed, receiving the Nobel Peace Prize. 
As you know, Ethiopia was uh, growing economically fast, and then, but in this growth process, there had been a lot of problems appear, like corruption and, and governance issue, bad governance issue, but also land use. So people had been dissatisfied with this, and so a lot of young people went out on the street to protest. During this time, the religious leaders, civil society, and then uh, groups and scholars were putting a lot of position papers to the government so that the government should be listening to the people. So the government, the ruling party, made finally a decision that they have to make a political reform. So as part of that political reform, the prime minister resigned, Tohel Mariam Desale. He resigned and then Dr. Abiy Ahmed came up. It is not many people knew before, but then Dr. Abiy Ahmed, the, from uh, the very day of his speech of the Parlama, uh, many people were so excited about his agenda, his vision about how to lead and serve the country. And especially for us, that for the first time in that place, officially God's name was mentioned. It excited many people because, as you know, in Ethiopia, people are practicing religious people. And so he really uh, touched the heart of many Ethiopians during his uh, inaugural speech at the parliament. Following, he have done some uh, reform in the government. And so he made also timeline. He gave for himself like 100 days or 30 days or 10 days to accomplish the activities they have planned together. During this time, then he visited the regions. He spoke with the ordinary people. And then also he went around the neighboring countries. And so one of the neighboring countries that we had been for a long time, no war, no peace situation, he took the courage to make the decision to accept the the Algiers agreement, and then so Eritrean government also accepted, and that also a big excitement for people who had been separated for years, and so the ordinary people, they just celebrated that they were able to meet each other. So I think even though, as uh, it's been mentioned, that the committee made the statement that this prize is not with the internal difficulty of Ethiopia, the people of Ethiopia are very happy that Dr. Abi has received the, uh, this prize. We know from the history, Emperor Haile Selassie at one point was a candidate in Ethiopia, but he didn't get it. So it is the general people consider that this is really not only a gift for uh, Dr. Abi, but for the whole nation members in Ethiopia. So people on the road have been interviewed and ordinary people who even did not know the significance of Nobel Prize, mm -hmm. they were so excited about the news that came up. That's wonderful. And you talked a little bit about this new peace agreement at the border between Ethiopia and Eritrea. And I'd love to dig into this a little bit more for those people who are listening who might not have a sense of the history of this conflict, perhaps, and what it means to kind of have this renewed peace agreement that hopefully it will actually, in fact, be implemented and kind of change things in the region. So, Father Hagos, I don't know if you'd like to start with that. And Peter, jump in here. Ethiopia and Eritrea, sisterly country, which was one country at one point, but not long after the referendum that Ethiopia and Eritrea went to war in 1998, and then the religious leaders at that time, together the Ethiopian religious leaders and elders, and then Eritrean religious leaders and elders, they met together in Asmara, in Addis Ababa, but also in Oslo to uh, discuss and really ask the both uh, governments to bring the issue at round the table, but not to go to war. 
they have tried their best, but it didn't work the way they hoped. So they went to fight a very bloody war. About 70,000 people's life was lost for nothing. And then after that war, for the last almost 20 years, there was no communication between the two countries. But beside that, soldiers were at the border area and the people at the border area from both countries were suffering. And so, uh, again, religious leaders, which I was a part of this team, we were trying to communicate with Eritrean government and discussing also with the Ethiopian government that seeking a way out of the situation which was blocked and we were requesting that maybe road can be open, people can meet, and then the border issue can be dealt by the political uh, groups of both countries, but then the people need one another because these people share a lot of things. They had been one people and then they share a lot of culture, religions, and economy, and then they also uh, are related in many ways, so they were missing each other. So the religious leaders were asking, but there were so many different groups was also behind this scenario. But before the prime minister resigned, he uh, was somehow promising that there is a process going on on the uh, foreign minister to change the foreign policy in relation to Eritrea. And so with that change of policy, we were hoping that soon there will be a change in that situation. But uh, the process took uh, quite a long time. Dr. Abi uh, Ahmed came, and so it didn't take him a long time to announce that Ethiopia accepts the Algiers agreement. And then I think that is a bigger deep breath for people from both sides. There had been families who never see each other for 20 years. And, and so it was a situation that created during the war a loss of life and destruction of the environment, of course. After the war, a big, long uh, distress of the society so uh, that people be not helped of, uh, about post-war trauma situation. They lived with that, but on top of that, they lived with fear and then also, you know, yearning to meet each other. So the opening of the border is a big solution for the people, especially those who are living in the border area. But again, it doesn't mean it's uh, really finished. There are a lot of legal standard situations to be taken place. But there is a flight going on from Asmara to Addis Ababa, so people visit each other and then they call each other. So the communication of the people has started. And I think that's already a good step for the two people so that they can meet each other. But also the government of the both countries has to sit down and discuss to standardize the relationship of the two countries. I think it is good to, to go back a bit in the history because the emperor, as you mentioned, Haile Selassie, was deposed in 1974 and then for a long period until 1991, we had basically a military regime, a radical military regime, and opposition grew against that. And so it was really a coalition between people in Ethiopia and the Eritrean People's Liberation Front. Mm -hmm. So they were really united. Yeah. And in 1991, they managed to win this war against the Derg, a very bloody, bad war. Mm -hmm. And it all looked very nice because they all agreed that we should peacefully now separate. So these were allies. And then gradually when Eritrea is uh, building up its own society, Ethiopia, uh, separate from Eritrea, two different societies emerge. And suddenly, very surprising in 1998, as you mentioned, 
they get into this conflict, which also seemed rather small in some sense. But there were obviously more things in here. After all, Ethiopia is so much bigger than Eritrea. There is all kinds of, of fears, as you mentioned. So we get this war in 1998 to 2000, which we tend to forget But it, when people look at conditions in Africa. But this is really a very bad war. And it is really you know, a war with the trenches and soldiers fighting. It has almost uh, like Western Europe's First World War in a sense. So it is really a very bad war. In 2000, you get this agreement in Algeria. And it included also a border commission that was to settle the border. So Ethiopia and Eritrea appointed different academics, basically people in international law and so on. So nobody was an Eritrean or Ethiopian. They were all separate. And uh, Kofi Annan, the secretary general, appointed the chair of this border commission. So it was really supposed to be a very objective one, looking at the traditions, at the documents, etc., and they came out with a statement which meant that uh, Ethiopia would have to abandon or give up or return back a particular piece of territory. And that's where the problem starts. Ethiopia, who had accepted the process, this is an arbitration process, Ethiopia had accepted it, but when the result came, one started to find reasons for not implementing it. And that's where we were stalled for mm -hmm. such a long time. Mm -hmm. And it was really, I think, negative for the whole region that these two countries couldn't really find a solution. So then it's quite amazing when Dr. Abi comes in and just, you know, says, no, we will accept it just like that. And of course, that changes the atmosphere. It increases the expectations. This is what Nobel Committee primarily is rewarding is that he accepted this process which basically was a peaceful process and really no, no new war between Ethiopia and Eritrea, but tensions and bad conditions for locals. So I think just that in itself is enough to get the, the peace price that you can do it. But as Father says, it's still a lot of unsolved problems and Ethiopia still holds on to this territory. So we, there is still more to be done, but at least something has been achieved, I think. Right. And so if you look at other peace agreements or if you think, you know, you both mentioned there's this work ahead. If you had to speculate, what do you think the best next steps would be to ensure that kind of this movement forward and the peace agreement continues? Yeah, I think the idea that I get from talking to Ethiopian diplomats and Eritreans is that they hope that this will create now new, easygoing, more easy conditions. And then that will provide the atmosphere where we can solve this problem. I think it is actually urgent to really make clear where the border is and make it into a soft border. So I think that is still a challenge to do it. But I think it is important because otherwise, you know, after some time, things might occur and then suddenly some start to make some trouble in the border region and we could get back. So I think it is very important to really make a solid solution. That's one of the challenges I would see. Yes, it is true. But in addition to that, in addition to the professionals' diplomacy work and also uh, the packages of bilateral agreement process, maybe we think that priorities has to put at place. First, if we see what are really the important thing for people, is it the border or the relationship of both countries and then so the economic relationship and then also uh, other developmental relationship could be strengthening the future discussion of the demarcation and then put that at place. Once they start that, I think if they would also allow and give space 
free space for elders of both countries and religious leaders. Uh, I think the people, especially living in the border area, would have a better solution proposal to international policymakers in this also the, the both countries uh, solution policymakers because in fact the elders of the area who are living at that area even before the war when the conflict starts if it was really the cause was a border i think the people living in the area would give a solution because the demarcation appears to be like there are some lands which is of Eritrea been uh, belong to Ethiopia, and then some land which belonged to Ethiopia now is being seen from uh, to Eritrea side. So those kind of aerial uh, kind of demarcation always brings the normal uh, life standard of people because it divides families to both countries. So, but this time it would be good and uh, preferably that people, uh, local area says that if we would start already the relationship on trading issue, communication, transportation, and then other economic and development areas, that that would enhance also the process of finishing the agreement of Algiers at the the ground. But, you know, in many cases, ordinary people, communities living in the area, been forgotten in the discussion. So whenever political leaders only take the agenda on on high, but without consultation on the ground, it would continue. So if it's really a border issue, the solution would be to sit down in the traditional way of mediation with the people of both countries. And I'm sure that they are working on this. Already there are some proposals from both countries they are discussing behind the scene. But I think before it is late, we think it is quite an opportune time now to use the time so that they would start discussing or solving the situation. Yeah, I agree that uh, this is an opportune time and the things that you are mentioning, Mm. I think, would really all be part of such a process. But the problem is if you on policy side say, no, we have solved that and we don't emphasize this. And of course, as we know, the Prime Minister Abe has a lot of other challenges in Ethiopia itself, which is also mentioned by the Nobel Committee. Mm-hmm. And there is a lot, and we have seen uh, riots and demonstrations and people have been killed and so on. So he faces also very big internal challenges. After all, we are talking about a country of 100 million people and a lot of different ethnic groups. And of course, there are territorial issues, so to say, within Ethiopia as well, what territory should belong to the Roma and other groups. And so you can say that his new style also opens up a lot of expectation that now we can get other things to change. So it is not an, an easy thing to maneuver. And I hope that his prize, in that sense, <laughs> mm-hmm. will encourage him to deal with these matters. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that's a nice segue into another question that I was going to pose, which is, yes, there are a number of challenges. And as you think about it, what are, beyond this one conflict at the border, we've been talking about what would you say are some of the most pressing challenges to peace facing Ethiopia right now? Uh, we had hoped to have another guest with us, Norbert Koppensteiner, who's done some looking at climate change, for instance, especially, and kind of the expected economic and displacement issues that that might cause in the country. But from your perspectives, what would you say are the primary issues that he needs to look at? I think there's an assignment not only for uh, Dr. Abi, but I think for the whole nation in the country, religious leaders and other civil societies and scholars and particularly activists, especially who are not in the country, but that they are communicating to the young people through the social media. There is a huge assignment 
that everybody had to get the courage to focus and then support the vision of the leadership that we are seeing now. Of course, there are huge internal problems. Just two weeks ago, that a conflict started in different parts of Romania region, that we lost eight, six people in this kind of situation. So the life of people, roads start being closing again, and then sometimes they just suddenly go under attack investment structures. So this internal situation, the religious leaders are calling upon the people to calm down and then have a, a non-violence discussion on the issue. So a lot of challenge coming at the table, of course. It's overwhelming, but I think in a situation where a political reform started, number one is that the political leaders themselves internally maybe need to discuss their issue before it comes up to the, to the public. Number two, also there are different initiatives and groups who are also backing up because we were requesting the change of uh, situations, the bad governance system, the corruption, the use of land, and then also the human rights issue, that also the ruling party admitted that this is their gap. So the civil society plus religious leaders were requesting for this change. The change came, but then it seems very difficult that this change could be participatory at all level of the society set up. So the prime challenge is really the internal conflict, which is creating a lot of tension, seemingly to be uh, ethnic tensions, but maybe the behind could be something else because Ethiopians, they, they lived for centuries together. They had also tensions and difficulty before. It's not new, but then maybe there were means to deal with that. Nowadays, considering that 70% of our population are below 30 years of age, and this generation are uh, using the the social medias and so taking the rule at their hand. So the traditional elder system that we had, the institution that kept Ethiopia to resist conflicts like this is now under a challenge. And so this is a big assignment for the ruling party led by Dr. Abiy Ahmed. In addition to that, we have also election coming ahead of us. Then we are really curiously looking at this situation. So different ruling parties has to come into consensus that they have to learn the culture of peace and then culture of dialogue around the table. And then plus also economic issues are there. We still have high unemployment and then this uh, kind of rivals is also blocking roads, is also damaging our economy. And also there are pocket areas affected by drought, so we still has to look for food to feed our people. So putting all this kind of thing in one package, it is a huge challenge also for the leadership. But we hope and pray through the um, support of religious leaders, civil society, that maybe we will able to pass this uh, challenging period of time that we are in. So the, the real next te test, as, as you mentioned, will be the elections, which are announced to be free and fair. And that is quite unique in the Ethiopian history. So I think it is really very important that these elections are working out properly. And then you really need to prepare already now very well for how to do this. 
and have organized parties and so on and make clear that this is not the same as violence. This is really a, a peaceful way of changing government and getting representation. And then this new parliament, which then I hope all works out, will be a democratically elected parliament. What that parliament needs to deal with is quite a lot. I would say that Ethiopia in the last 10 years or so has really had an enormous economic growth. The, the cities have changed dramatically. But that's not the same as economic development. It is a growth and it benefits uh, some investors and others. But real development is something that is shared, where people also get access to health, get access to mm. education. All that needs to be an important challenge. And I only hope that the political parties that are now being formed, that they see this as the priority rather than the, the various ethnic issues and trying to, you know, saying that now we, ethnic group A, should have more than ethnic group B, then you are into real, real troubles. And it is an educational matter. I'm pretty sure that the various religious leaders have a role there, but that's also true for people with university backgrounds and so on to really be involved in this process and help it out. And I think we from the outside should be try to support whatever we can that helps this democracy. Because if this succeeds, then he's not only worth the peace price, he's actually you know, providing a model for other countries in Africa. I know, for instance, that people in Sudan, the neighboring country, where we also see a process of opening up now and where Dr. Abi has been involved as well, they will look very carefully on, on what happens in Ethiopia and can it succeed in Ethiopia with democratic elections? Well, then things are moving also in a good direction for Sudan. So this is really a crucial year in front of us with respect to Ethiopia. Father Hagos, I wonder, you mentioned a little bit the role of religious leaders, especially in kind of advocating for peace in a variety of ways. And I wonder if you could talk specifically about the mediation and reconciliation process that you helped lead between communist perpetrators and victims of the Red Terrors and the so-called Red Terrorism period in Ethiopia. I know this is a particular experience you have. The religious leaders in Ethiopia, had been, they had experience starting from 1984, working together. They established in 1984 during the Great Famine of Ethiopia, organization called the Joint Relief Partnership, in which they managed to have access to areas where it was not possible. They were like the local United Nation with a flag. They could go to the place where people were under the resistant fighters. So they uh, brought aids and then uh, help also the uh, international humanitarian organizations to bring the aid to that. So continuing after the change of that regime, they also uh, start establishing a joint effort working on HIV AIDS. And then following to that, also they had been working on the mediation between Ethiopia and Eritrea, facilitated by the Norwegian government and Norwegian church aid. So finally, they thought they could develop this to more uh, legal forum. So they established Ethiopia Religious Council, uh, Interreligious Council. Uh, so through that Interreligious Council, the religious leaders again uh, thought they have uh, to initiate an, a national reconciliation program. But then it was very difficult to call it a national reconciliation program. But this happened, the current Cardinal Abraham uh, Jesus visited the jail and then he visited the one who put him in jail during the regime time. He was for seven months in a dark room. And then so he survived. I mean, he uh, is one of the group that been found. 
So he went to see this man who put him in jail. And then he, again, on his term, he's in jail. So he went to see him and then he asked pardon for what he done. But he also asked him if he can facilitate, the, you know, that the population of Ethiopia would also accept their pardon. So he informed other religious leaders. So they came together, assigned a, a team working committee, and then it happened to be that I was chairing that committee. So it was a project of two years. And then so we had to change word vocabularies that would fit our system. But we were very careful of saying international reconciliation because there were other political uh, opposition groups that they were requesting also for a national reconciliation because we went through 17 years, harsh moments. So after that, if we are going to start economic growth with development, it was obvious that also the human development, the, the reconciliation was a key for that. So, But what we have done is that we were speaking for the perpetrators who were in jail waiting for death penalty. Uh, number one we have done is requesting the government to waive that decision, but also we uh, met the victims. And then as in a model of the many victims in Ethiopia, we got some victims who organized themselves. And then so we had a consultation process with them for two years, but also with the population of Ethiopia, we send our delegations to 82 cities, towns in Ethiopia, consulted our people. And then the people were endorsing that they would accept their pardon and then we requested also those who were the jailer to write officially what they have done and then what they feel about it they wrote it and then that was kept with the religious leaders to be archived for 25 years but the idea was that they would organize a prayer vigil and they come openly there and then ask the public of ethiopia uh, pardon and forgiveness for the wrong they have done but while we were in the process the government have seen that we were a bit late of course, because when we are discussing with the victim, it took a lot of time. We're requesting for compensation, and then we never knew what to do with that, uh, what the international law is saying about it. So in the meantime, the government released the uh, perpetrators and joined the public, and then the public didn't react against that. So it is an open-ended yet, but we hope that now there is a commission Reconciliation and Peace Commission. And then the chair of that commission is His Eminence Cardinal Brahana Yusus, happened to be himself was a victim of that time. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that they might be included this in their program of reconciliation and peace process in the country. But all these things are really very, very important for the long run of Ethiopia. When you talk about the Red Terror in the 1980s, it reminds me that I happened to be in Ethiopia in, in 1974 at the time when the first opening, I would say, happened. It began in the end of February 74, and it was all very, very hopeful. And the media was open and so on. And in September, the emperor was removed and everything looked fine until November. Then uh, a lot of shooting and uh, executions took place of a number of the leaders. And after that, you got a much firmer military, basically, government with a radical motive. And from there on, things became really, really bad. So I, I think one should really look back at that hopeful period and try to learn the lessons 
that uh, shooting and so on is not what helps. What really is needed is exactly what Father Hagus is talking about, uh, matters of openness, transparency, taking up things that have been bad in the past. They need to be discussed in a reasonable way and not just for revenge, but to, to try to reconstruct relationships and so on. And Ethiopia's recent history has too much of bad things that needs to be handled. So indeed, it's a really big challenge for Dr. Abi, but mm. uh, I hope he's not alone. I mean, you are there with him and <laughs> others are there. So, Well, thank you both for being here today. I've asked a number of questions. Is there anything else you'd like to add, concluding or parting thoughts? I think it is interesting to see this also in the Africa perspective. What Dr. Abi has done for the region has really helped to reduce tension and open up possibilities of solving other conflicts. So in that sense, I think he is an, an inspiration for many in Africa and maybe elsewhere as well. And I think that's also an important thing for Africa. There are so many conflicts and unsolved conflicts, and he has been brave to deal with some of them. I think we need more people like this. Also, he's a young man by any standard, 42 years old. He is a well-educated person. I think all this is a good combination. You've been listening to The CrocCast, peace studies conversations convened by the University of Notre Dame's Croc Institute for International Peace Studies. You can find all episodes of the CrocCast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, and online at croc.nd.edu slash podcast. You can also rate and review our podcast, which will help more people find our show. If you want to learn more about the Building Sustainable Peace Conference, where this episode was recorded and that brought 450 peace studies practitioners and scholars to the Notre Dame campus, visit croc.nd.edu slash building sustainable peace. Thanks for listening.